It's a joy to be with you and uh, to have this time my wife Priyanka right there and our daughter who you probably can't see as her car seat stroller is reversed there, but Haven as well, 10 months old. And I, th- I was trying to remember last time, I think I brought two guys with me. I'll tell you, these two are far better looking than the gang I brought last time. No offense to, to Noah and David, who I love dearly. Um, that being said, it's really a joy to be here. I've told Priyanka many times about you, and I've said I, I, I've only been here once, but I, I told her, I said, this is really a special place to go. So we're looking forward to the weekend. We're looking forward to what the Lord has planned And I can only say amen to that prayer because I certainly don't want you to remember anything that's not from the Lord. And I also certainly uh, desire that as we leave here, only he gets any glory. And I'm looking forward to a a full weekend together with you. As I was thinking about what to share, because really right now, um, just to kind of give you a little background into what's actually happening right now in our life, which you'll get more on the, the mission side, but just from a message prep side, I'm actually working on six different series in each one, you know, it's between whatever, five to eight messages. And so it's like a lot of thoughts flooding my mind. And so I was like, Lord, what is it coming here this evening? What do you need to hear? And and the Lord did rest my heart on a certain passage, a passage that's become very dear to me, I'd say, over the last couple of years. It's really the story of a certain individual. But as we think about what really is important as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am going to target this message towards believers. So if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, um, don't worry, that will be addressed too. But this really is targeted at believers. You have to ask the question, what's important? We, we have a bumper sticker we heard about tonight, that after death, the judgment. Very true. But for us as believers, when we stand before God, what is he looking for? In fact, it's very simple what he's looking for. It's not a very... Uh, let's say, detailed gauge in Scripture. It's a very simple, straightforward, one word, in fact, that God is looking for from our lives. But the question is, how does that type of life be lived? Well, what is he looking for? I remember the first message I ever preached from, let's say, a so-called pulpit was uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and it was on this very topic, not where we're going to be tonight, but it's required in a steward that this thing be found. When we stand before God one day, we hope to hear, well done, my good, and this type of servant. And what is the word? Well, I think you all know by now, the word is faithful. But faithfulness can be a bit ambiguous at times, because I say, hey, be faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? But I want to look into the idea of faithfulness, and I want to look at one biblical character, and and we do plan to pull a few lessons out of his life over the course of the weekend, even during the conference, although every message will stand alone, so if you just hear one or two, or if others come in other times, it's all right. But I want to look at the life of a character in the Old Testament who, uh, numerically speaking, did more miracles than anyone else, and that, that can be debated, but I don't think this is worth debating because I think it's not that close. Uh, it's a character where really very little negative is said about his life, and he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ in many clear ways. I'm not going to get into that in this message, but if you want a parallel, I have written up a parallel, and there's probably about 25 parallels between him and the Lord Jesus Christ. There are three transitions in Scripture as well that involve the Jordan River, and each one pictures a journey between law and grace. We've got the journey of Moses to Joshua and the crossing of the Jordan really being as a baton being passed. 
we have the, the passage of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, the law really being shown forth in John the Baptist teaching and grace coming through Jesus Christ. But we have one other baton being passed at the Jordan, and that would be Elijah and the character we're going to speak on this evening, and that's Elisha. So I want us to narrow our focus in on Elisha, but when we think about faithfulness, we really have a few characteristics of faithfulness right at the beginning of Elisha's life. And here's why I believe we need to address it and think on it this evening. At the end of the message, and I'm telling you, it's at the end. You're not going to get it until the end. You will not wonder when you leave those doors why we have so few Elishas in our world today. It will not be at all a question in your mind. In fact, it'll be so blatant and so obvious that you're going to start asking the question, am I willing to be like Elisha as it pertains to faithfulness? I want you to turn to the beginning of Elisha's story, the first time that he's mentioned, and that would be in 1 Kings. 1 Kings and getting to chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. Now, 1 Kings 19 picks us up at a very low point in the life of Elijah. We're not going to go into that whatsoever, but Elijah basically is very disheartened by the way that uh, the nation's responding to the power of God being demonstrated. And we come now to verse 19 of chapter 19. And here we have three verses. That's all we're going to look at this evening. Three verses into the life of Elisha. And in these three verses, if I can, uh, if the Lord helps in getting them in, in the next 34 minutes, we aim to look at six elements that we'll see in this call of Elisha that pertain to faithfulness, and they're incredibly practical. So please, don't look at this message like some kind of uh, intellectual, uh, just increasing an intellectual capacity or, or knowledge. This is really about what are we going to take out of here and apply. Even as I saw that list, my heart was encouraged by those names. But how easy it is sometimes to have that first conversation with someone. But what about that follow-up? Yes, I put that name on the list. I praise God for that, by the way. This is nothing negative about that. But am I willing now to invest in their life to the point where it changes the way I live? Well, we're going to see what faithfulness looks like for Elisha. And it's going to cost him a lot. So let's read these three verses. And then I I just want to pray one more time. Verse 19. So he, we're talking about Elijah. He departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he, Elijah, said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Father, this is your word. Without you, we can do nothing. And we know it's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by eloquent words. It's not by uh, some persuasive speech, but it's by your spirit. And so therefore we look only to you. We surrender to who you are, and we ask you to work in all of our lives, change our hearts, and I pray, start with me. Lord, if I say anything not guided by you, wipe it from our minds, and I pray Jesus gets all the glory. In his name we pray, amen. So taking a glance at this passage, the, the, the first, uh, wrapping our, our mind around what's going on in the realm of faithfulness, 
I want you to think all the way back to 1532, I believe it was. There was an astronomer named Copernicus, Nicholas Copernicus, and he suggested something which at the time was revolutionary, and that is that the world or the universe does not revolve around us. But in fact, uh, the, the, the earth where we live is not the center of all things. Up until that point, it sure would seem to be as the sun would rise and the sun would set. But he suggested very accurately, and now it's not debated, that we're not the center of things. And when we come to the word of God and when we come to faithfulness, we can make a very subtle mistake. And that is trying to take the things of God and put them into our life almost suggesting as though our life is the center of where things operate, when in reality it's not about adding God to anything in our life, rather it's about surrendering our life to who he is. See, we're going to talk about the mission of God this weekend. God's got a mission that he's unfolding on earth. I love that. And and let me tell you, God's got no plan B because plan A is going beautifully. But the question is not, are you going to let God be part of what you're doing? The question is, are you going to plug into what he's doing? He has a mission. It's successful. We already know the ending. But do you want to be part of it? Faithfulness is ultimately plugging our life into what he says, who he is, what he's doing. And that's what we're going to see here in the life of Elisha. So taking notes, number one, the first element of this journey of faithfulness. I want you to take the word ordinary as point number one, the ordinary. I want you to realize that a life of faithfulness always starts in the ordinary. This should be an encouragement to you because this is exactly what we see in Elisha's life. Nothing special. He's in a place called Abel Mehola, and we see that a few verses earlier where Elisha lives. This is a breadbasket of the land of Israel. In fact, if you come come on a trip over there, we'll take you right by this area. And it is a green, verdant area right off the Jordan River. It's prime property. And what does Abel Mehola even mean? It means the, the dancing meadow. It sounds like a subdivision, right? It's the dancing meadow. This is where Elisha lives. He lives in a very, uh, very, very well-to-do area per se. So the first thing I want you to see is his place. The place that he lives is very ordinary. I also want you to see his position, his position in life. And what's his position? Well, it tells us where he is. He's behind 12 yoke of oxen. Now, I heard one commentator say something which you don't, well, let's just pretend like this commentator is exaggerating. Uh, I don't think he is. I mean, I've got no reason to believe he is. But if he is, let's say he's exaggerating by three, okay? That's pretty safe exaggeration. He says that to have one uh, oxen would be like having a car for us. Well, I don't think it's quite like having 24 cars, but let's just say he's exaggerating. It's like having eight cars. That's still pretty decent. I doubt any of you have eight cars unless you like have a business and it's under that name. But the point being is he's got some assets. Now, you might try to bring in this little detail saying, but they're not his. You have a real problem on your hands, guys, because he's going to burn them all by the end of this story. So if they're not his, he's got something else to take up with someone else. So I don't know where you're getting that, but I think probably that's not overly accurate with what we see in this account. Plus, we know something about plowing oxen and taking care of a field like that. There, He's in the back, which also means that he's guiding the process. He's in charge. He's boss. That's going to be very important in just a little while, a little while being, uh, you know, 28 minutes from now at the end of the message when we make that final point. So just keep this in mind. Very ordinary. He's doing the work. He's out there in the field. And think about how ordinary this is. If we saw his place, we saw his position. Well, there's also his perspective. 
his perspective. What is his perspective? Please get this in your mind. What is he staring at day in and day out? Literally the rear ends of oxen. That's what he sees. It's not glamorous. I I spent time in fields in Niger, in Senegal. I'm telling you, when you stare at the rear ends of of beasts all day, I haven't done it all day, but I've done some plowing. It's really very mundane. But what I want you to notice is the life of one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament scriptures, a man who pictures Christ, started out in the most mundane of ways. Please don't discard the most mundane things. So pause for a second. Practical exercise, not to do now, but later if you're actually serious about taking in and applying what you're hearing. I want you to go home and make a list of all the mundane, ordinary things you do every day because you're going to notice the second point, which we're going to bring out in just a second, is going to come out of the ordinary in your life. Don't despise the ordinary. If you're a pilot, the ordinary, doing the pre-check for the flight, the ordinary, um, greeting the people that that you might encounter along the way, the ordinary, uh, working with your bosses, wherever that might be, the ordinary, going to class, the ordinary, um, texting somebody, the ordinary, cooking, the ordinary, whatever, the most simple things. Come on. If he was plowing oxen, that was his ordinary. All right, let's move on. That's the first thing, just the ordinary. The second thing I want you to notice, though, is the opportunity that arises in the ordinary. The opportunity. So the second word is opportunity. This is so valuable for us to meditate on and consider because ultimately in our life, the opportunities that God will give us are going to emerge out of the ordinary. And you might say that's not very profound. Well, it's not. But here's the issue. The issue is that oftentimes we're not considering what opportunities are going to emerge from our ordinary. In other words, we don't give the ordinary enough prayer. We don't ask the Lord, Lord, what should I be looking for? What should I be preparing for? Because so often, instead of uh, instead of preparing in the ordinary, we despise the ordinary things and we want to move on to something more exciting. I see that all the time in my generation. We have a discontentment with what is instead of a preparation for what will be. Now, think about this. The opportunities that arise in the ordinary. Because here, he's plowing these oxen. And notice verse 20. Or notice the end of verse 19. Elijah passed by him, cast his cloak upon him. Now, you might say, okay, that's the opportunity. Good. Except for one thing. He's literally on oxen. Something is thrown on him, and in the very next verse, verse 20, he's going to jump off the oxen. He's going to run after Elijah immediately. Now, now there's a problem there with, with, with just saying, okay, great, the opportunity came and he, he capitalized on it. He was prepared for the opportunity. You've got to notice this. He was absolutely prepared because you don't just have this mantle thrown on you. You would wonder, what's this about? Why did a mantle get thrown on me? Also, well, let me finish this and after that I'll go process what, 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 what this all meant. You can see that Elisha had rehearsed this moment in his mind. Now, I don't know the exact moment, but you can see he had rehearsed it. Why? Because he runs after him. He quickly, completely abandons, in a good way, abandons what he was doing because he saw the opportunity came. I think some of you do that with evangelism, and that's to your credit. I mean, praise God. You literally rehearse saying, if they say this, I'm going to jump right in because this is my chance to share with them what they ultimately need to receive and hear. You've rehearsed that moment. You know it's the ordinary. You know it's the water cooler at work. But you know that if they ask that question, 
bam, you are off the oxen and you are running. But I wonder, do we actually prepare for the opportunities? Uh, so, so if you really are doing that exercise of listing all your ordinary, you have a second column, and that second column would be the opportunities. Have you ever thought through, just like pray through your ordinary and say, Lord, just fill my mind with the opportunities that you might present in my ordinary. Like just, just, just fill me with wisdom and then give me courage to act on it when the moment comes. I, I really believe that life in Christ is not an accidental life like, oops, I accidentally was faithful. I accidentally was used. I believe it's so intentional. And, and you might say, well, where's the relationship in all of that? Oh, it's absolutely there. It's so focused on, Lord, I want you to be glorified through me. I'm a channel of your glory. I want the the light of the world, and we are the light of the world, to shine into the darkness. And so, Lord, what's keeping me? And sometimes what's keeping me is lack of preparation for the moments that he gives. Now, I'm so grateful that the Lord uses us even when we haven't. But we see Elisha seemed to be very prepared. He seemed to be very ready. And so I challenge you, faithfulness starts in the ordinary, but the opportunities God provides will come in the ordinary. Are we prepared for those opportunities that he wants to give us? Now, the third thing I'm not going to say very, focus on very long, just because you don't need, you don't need much set on it, but obedience. Now, why do I say obedience? Well, first we had ordinary, then we realized there's opportunities in the ordinary. Are we prepared for the opportunities of the ordinary? But let me make this so clear. Oh, wow. This is one of those things that it, 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 it sounds so simple, but it's really so profound. Life in Christ is about surrender to him. And when you think about surrendering to Christ, you make the decision beforehand that you will be surrendered in the sense that you make the decision beforehand that obedience is not an option. Obedience has already been chosen. In other words, you're surrendered to his word. You don't, now let, let me phrase it a different way. You don't obey God because you like what he's saying. You don't obey God because it's easy what he's asking. You obey him because he's God. You obey him because he's true and because his word is forever. I find far too often in our world we negotiate truth to meet our situation rather than surrendering to the word of God. But what I see in Elisha's life is not that. The reason he responded immediately was because he knew the opportunity that might arise in the ordinary and he decided beforehand obedience will follow the opportunity that arises in the ordinary. He decided. Have you decided? Have you decided when you cross paths? Yeah, I'm going to speak to my, I'm going to speak to my own, uh, to my own weakness, not strength here, to my own weakness. The Lord's convicting me greatly in this, specifically in the realm of just simple interactions, things that people would say aren't even important things in the realm of with my wife or with my close friends of patience. Am I deciding beforehand that the moment that comes, I'm just going to be incredibly patient and loving and gentle? That all that's going to come, I mean, like, I, the, the, it's like when, when that moment comes, I'm just going to let the most gentle things come out of me. <laughs> I'll tell you, if I don't prepare beforehand, that's not what happens. It does not. But if I have prepared beforehand, it's amazing how there is truly a different response. 
And the, the, the choice really is, am I going to surrender to the Spirit of God? See, are we going to respond to our situations in the Spirit? Or are we going to react to our situations in the flesh? And so with that being said, what we see in Elisha's life is he chose obedience before the moment. Because we see that by the way he jumps off and runs after him. But with that said, I, I, I want to make a, a, just a statement and then look at a few examples in Scripture. And I'll just read these to you so we'll kind of go fast over them. But, but just kind of soak them in. Just soak it in. You're going to see that this is the way God works. Daily obedience is what prepares someone for divine opportunities. Think about this. Daily obedience in the mundane is what prepares people for divine opportunities. So here was Elisha being faithful in daily opportunities, daily obedience. And then all of a sudden, this divine opportunity comes along. Now, now think about this. Noah obediently constructed a boat on dry ground before cruising a flooded earth, right? Later on, we have Abraham. Abraham was faithfully pitching his tent before one day parenting a whole nation. We've got Joseph. He was humbly counseling prisoners before eventually consulting potentates. We've got Moses, who was shepherding flocks before he was shepherding a nation. We have David, who wrote choruses before he wore crowns. We have Elisha who plowed fields before he received his promotion to a prophet. We have Daniel who resisted compromise before receiving commendation from kings. I just want to encourage you this evening that God's not looking on the size of your audience. God's not looking on how important you deem what you're doing. But he's looking at one thing. And I've already mentioned it. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Are you being faithful to the ordinary? the opportunities of the ordinary in your home, in your personal life, in your work, in your public life, in your social life, in your thought life. That is what pleases the Lord. Now, with that said, let's go to number four. So we have obedience, but this next one, Elisha demonstrates very clearly, and that is outright, the outright. A life of faithfulness is going to be outright. Now, what's the definition of outright? This is the one I'm working off of. Something which is completely open. Something which is direct. Something which is not concealed. So, to be outright is to be, there is no question where that person stands on an issue. Right now, we have primaries going on. We have another election year. I'm always so thankful when I get to be overseas a lot of an election year. It's such a, a blessing to be far from these television stations. I just get tired of it. It's not that, that it, it's an issue. It's just I, it's fatiguing. Um, but with that being said, people, are, they, they try to be outright. But the problem is, is they're, they're kind of outright uh, uh, contradict themselves, right? It's like really confusing. Like, where do they actually stand on that? Um, but with Elisha, I love how he's outright on where he stands on this issue, and nobody can look at the situation and wonder. Three ways he's outright. First, he's outright with his family. When Elijah throws that mantle on him, he says, let me go kiss my father and my mother. Now, 
don't think Luke chapter 9 in your mind here because it's not the same context whatsoever. In Luke 9, the guy's wanting to go back and bury his father and not even sure if his father's dead at that point. That's a whole other story altogether. This is truly a cutting off. And I believe what Elisha's doing is he's doing it in a very uh, uh, honoring type of way. It's interesting. Who is his father anyway? Um, because like a little earlier on, you see he's a son of Shaphat. And Shaphat is just a word that means judge. So um, I'm not sure, but his dad might have been judge. It might not even be his dad's name. It might just be a title. Because you see that over with Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, right? That's not his real name. His real name was Ruel. But Jethro was a title. So I'm not sure. But he goes back and what does he do? He's saying to his mother and his father, he's cutting off and saying... I must follow the call of God. He's outright. There's no debating. Let me ask you, in, in, in your life, before your children, if you're a parent, is it outright that Christ is absolutely first in your family? He's absolutely first in possessions. He's absolutely first in your finances. He's absolutely first in your priorities. I'm thinking about all these things with having a little girl now. He's absolutely first in the way that you process a situation. Are you outright? Well, he's outright with his family. There's no debating where Elisha's priority lies. And that's huge in these cultures. Huge. I live in Muslim culture, or I have lived in Muslim cultures um, most of my life. And this is the hardest thing about following Christ for them, to be outright with their family, by far. It's not even close. But this is where it starts, at least for Elisha. The second thing is this. He's also outright with his finances. I just alluded to that. I asked the question. Don't you love what he does? He's outright with his finances. He leaves his job. He burns his plow. And then he cooks dinner for everybody. It's amazing. He just wants to make sure, wow, there's no going back. He absolutely is clear with where his investment is going to be. And I love that. I have to ask myself the question this, and and I'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow night, Lord willing. Not from Elisha's life, but from another angle. We also see that Elisha is outright with his future. He makes his decision and he follows through. He literally has nothing to go back to. There's a, there's a story in history, and please, I am not using this story as a positive example, okay? So, positive or negative, please don't read any politics into this. Don't read any, uh, don't read any pros or cons. That's not the point. It's an illustration, okay? So take it as an illustration and leave it there. But when Hernan Cortez came over to the so-called New World at the time, um, he, he came over with a fairly small fleet. He had 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. You might say, that sounds like a, a big fleet to me. Guys, compared to the 5 million people he was going to encounter on shore, that is a small fleet. To give you the odds, the odds... Of him winning, it was 7,541 to 1. That's like the Miami Dolphins winning three straight Super Bowls. <laughs> 7,541 to 1. So when he got on shore, do you know the first thing that he decided to do? They got on shore. He told his men, burn every ship we have. Why do you think he said that? Because he wanted all those soldiers to know there's only two options. You're going to die or you're going to conquer. But you're not going back. 
I love that about Elisha. There was no plan B. <laughs> There's plan A, God's call. I'm going to obey the Lord. Let me ask you in our lives. Do we ever have these plan B's where if it just doesn't work out the way that we think it should work out, maybe we'll resort back to the worldly option of security, the worldly option of success, the worldly option of what they deem to be a, a, a wiser choice. I want to tell you a little story. I don't know who the story is for, okay? Uh, I really don't. But I, I do believe that it's going to encourage someone. It's a very recent story in my life. In Niger, we had uh, a teammate that came and joined us. When they came and joined us, I'm not going to give any names. They came and joined us for a very, very short period of time. That wasn't the plan. They were planning on coming long term. But this, care, this individual, a girl, she was very successful in her field. She had a master's degree. She had a job making solidly in six digits. She owned her house outright. She was doing very well, early 30s. And she got a burden for children in Niger and started praying about it for a couple of years and ended up finally saying, I, I've got to follow. And her company tried to keep her. They increased her salary. She's like, I've got to go. So we had a couple different trainings that she went to, um, and she was going to be opening up a preschool over there. And so she went through all the training, so excited about coming. She arrives in Niger, and let me just tell you, it was really hard. It was hard for various reasons, but it was just very hard. Let me tell you that her expectations were not met from the perspective of just the grind of getting something going, the way that red tape works over there. The way that people receive her, it was difficult. And about four months later, after a lot of discouragement, maybe it was more like six months, she ended up returning to the States and getting a job and resuming life. Not as before, but resuming life. Now, you might think I'm using that illustration negatively. I'm not. Because I really had to wrestle with the Lord on that. I said, Lord, what was that all about? This is a girl that sacrificed she was outright before her friends, before her family, before coworkers that were unsaved. Lord, why, why did she stop? And you know, I don't know all the reasons. I don't. I, I, I know what I heard. I know what happened while I was there. But I had to start asking the question, Lord, what are you looking for? And he says, faithfulness. And I started realizing that she's still rewarded for her faithfulness. She still made decisions completely in faith. And maybe sometimes we don't walk them out to the end that the Lord would have. And maybe she did. I don't know. But I want to encourage you that when you make a choice to follow the Lord, it's not about how it's going to turn out. That has nothing to do with it. If you say, man, I'm going to give the Lord Two years of Bible school, because I just like feel burned. I'm supposed to, I'm not saying that's what you need to do. I'm just saying that might be your investment. And then you see nothing come from it. Or, or maybe you just feel burdened saying, man, uh, I, I see this happening there. I'm going to invest in this thing, in this ministry. And then you see that ministry kind of collapse and you're like, whoa, what did I miss? Listen, the reward is with faith, not how the situation turns out according to your perception. 
And I'm about to make this point in a very simple, straightforward, and powerful way based on Elisha's life. Not because I'm going to say it powerfully, because Elisha's life is going to say it powerfully. I mean, it's crazy how powerful this is. It literally has changed my perspective on the way I view living a life of faith. And I think it might encourage you in that way too. Outright. Do not look at how the situation is going to turn out in your mind. Ask, am I being obedient to the word of the Lord regardless of the result? Because when Elisha obeys, you're going to find out that the result was certainly not what he thought he was going to get. So the fourth thing we saw was the decision is outright. And we saw he was outright in three very distinct ways. Uh, with that said, uh, I'm not going to really touch on this next one because I sort of already alluded to it. But I just want to reiterate by not saying number five. The fifth O is offering. Anytime you're going to live a life of faithfulness, there will be an offering. It will cost you something. Faith does cost us something. Now, uh, people uh, like to ask the question, especially young people I'm talking to, how do you know something's the will of God? Well, we're going to actually talk about the will of God, Lord willing, on Saturday night at the Youth Emphasis meeting. I'm excited about that time together. So I, I do hope that um, those of you that qualify to be there will be there. But when you think about offering, when you think about doing the will of God, I ask myself three questions. I ask myself, first of all, does it line up with the word of God? If it lines up with the word of God already, it's definitely something I'm supposed to be acting on. But now the question is, what does it look like? Does it line up with the word of God? The second question I ask myself is, does it bring glory to God or to someone else? To me? Like, cause that usually will tell you how you're going about it. You can do what God wants. Like, um, you know, maybe it's something as simple as, you know, uh, let no corrupt word proceed out your mouth, but what is necessary for the edification to hear? Well, you can edify somebody with words, but then you can like take all the credit for it. And you can, again, we're missing the point. So first, does it line up with God's word? Who does it bring glory to? And the third thing I like to ask myself is, what does it cost me? What does it cost me? So let me tell you, walking with the Lord, it costs you something. I'll, I'll give you an illustration of it. We like to talk about suffering. And I think our idea of suffering is like, oh, I, a friend was beheaded on the shores of Libya, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, okay, sure, that, that's suffering. But let's talk about suffering on the way we all suffer. You want to walk with the Lord? Uh, it, it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, that... He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, flip that around. If you're going to cease from sin, you're going to suffer in the flesh. Think about this. Every time that your flesh wants to do something that you know you sh- that, that, that the word of God says no. If you want to um, gossip, slander about someone, but the word of God says clearly, I want you to keep your mouth shut and I want you to pray for that individual. You know what happens inside of you? You hurt. You suffer. Why? Because you got some juicy news you want to share with other people and you're not sharing with anyone. And so what happens? You start inside. That flesh is just dying. You're hurting. There's suffering involved. And well, what are you doing? You're, you're literally offering yourself. You're offering your will. You're offering your flesh on the altar of God's glory, on the altar of who he is. That's just one simple example. We could take that many other places. But here's what I just want you to remember, that as you walk through this journey of obedience in the ordinary, Understand there's going to be an offering involved. Don't think it's going to be easy. Don't think it's just going to be some kind of smooth sailing. In fact, if it's smooth sailing, just ask the Lord, what am I missing? Because it will cost you. What what, what does Paul say? So often, I no longer live. He says in different ways, but I no longer live. 
but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, final point. Here we go. This is the part I want you all to hang on to and remember. We got four minutes for it and this is it. You might think that when you start in the, the ordinary and you have opportunities that you're obedient to, you might think that, man, when I obey God, God is going to do crazy things in my life. You might think that, wow, when I obey God, like, uh, this is stupid what I'm saying right now, okay, but he'll put me on a pedestal. Like, I don't, first of all, if you've ever been put on a pedestal, believe me, it's only a place to get knocked off of. It's not a place to hang out on. So no one ought to desire that in the first place. But, but we might think that when we're obedient to God, God's going to do crazy things through our life. I want to kind of wreck that from Elisha's life. Because the sixth point is not something about popularity. It's not something about success. In fact, the last O I want you to write down is this. Obscurity. Obscurity. Read verse 21 again. Look at verse 21. This is absolutely powerful what happens in Elisha's life. He obeys God by following Elijah. And then it says, then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Now that might not sound like much, right? It just leads to that, that. But I want to just like skip forward and say in 1 Kings chapter 20, do you know how many times Elisha's mentioned? He's not. In chapter 21, is he mentioned? No. Chapter 22, is he mentioned? No. In 2 Kings chapter 1, is he ever mentioned one time? No. It's not until 2 Kings chapter 2 that Elisha's name will appear on the pages of scripture again. Now, based on the kings that, that reigned during that period, if I want to make sure I go with the low, low, low number, I'll say 14 years. But chances are it was more like 18 years. So consider this. Elisha obeys and for the next 18 years, his name will not appear on the pages of scripture one time. Nothing is recorded about anything he did except one thing. And we find that in 2 Kings chapter 3. You know all that we know that Elisha was doing during those 18 years? Here you go. It says he washed the hands of Elijah. That's it. He washed the hands of Elijah. Talk about obscurity. He literally washed the hands of Elijah. That is the job of a fairly low-level servant. This was a boss. This was a guy in Abel Meholah whose dad was Shaphat. He had 24 oxen, 12 yoke of them. This guy was well off. This guy had it together. He follows God like, now we're going to move. Now you're going to wash hands for 18 years. Let me ask you, please be honest. Like a lot of you are even 18 years old. This is more than your entire life. How many of us would absolutely give up during those 18 years and say, I missed something? God, I know the mantle fell on me, but I I can't keep doing this. I, this is so below my pay grade. This is so below my gifting. Are some of you discouraged in where you're serving right now? The Lord's asking for faithfulness, not fame. Faithfulness. Are some of you tempted to quit? Has it been 18 years? <laughs> Keep walking. Keep washing the hands of Elijah. Because the journey of faithfulness 
is not a journey that others around you are going to understand is great. It's going to be a journey that when you stand before God, he'll say was great. Let these words just sink into you. Let them sink into me. Because I really believe that we live in an instant generation. The crock pot wasn't fast enough, so we have the Instapot. Disney wasn't enough. We needed the fast pass. Take whatever. Uh, It was courting, then it was dating. Now it's Tinder and swiping. I mean, come on. We live in a ridiculous generation. Amazon used to be two-day delivery, and that was like fast. Then it was next-day delivery, and that was good. And now it's same-day delivery. We are ridiculous. There's a study at University of Massachusetts, Amherst, and this professor did a survey on 6.7 million uh, Internet users. And he wanted to see how quickly do people stop loading a page when it doesn't load. (laughs) After two seconds, people start leaving. After five seconds, 25% are gone. After 10, 10 seconds, half of them are gone. We are so impatient. We are impatient. Get that in your mind. We are so impatient. There's no way around it. We are an impatient generation. And even the older people that used to be part of a slightly more patient generation have become impatient in our generation. 18 years of washing hands. My sisters, my brothers, I encourage you. Press on. Press on. He who called you is faithful and he will do it. Therefore, remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And may we hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, this is your word. Use it and may we keep moving forward in patience, in endurance, knowing that it is you who must make the change. It is you who holds the power. And may we be servants found faithful, working as you come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.